Everyone knew Sean Coleman's grandmother, Elizabeth. She was a trusted mentor in the tight-knit Bed-Stuy Brooklyn community where Sean grew up. She was one of the pillars in the community. She volunteered at the elementary school that I went to. She helped out with the lunch ladies, like any kind of task that needed to be done, my grandma would do. Sean's grandmother was a teacher in Georgia before she retired to New York. Teaching and bringing communities together, these things were in her blood. And her lessons weren't limited to the classroom. She owned two brownstones, and on the first of the month, she'd give the rent money to 12-year-old Sean to take to the bank. Along the way, everybody gets an opportunity to see you, right? So they know you're on your way, and they know what you're on your way to do. It felt like it was just community effort. The woman in the bank knew me. The crossing guard that was across the street from the school, she knew me. Like So along this route, there's still a whole bunch of people that see me, that acknowledge me, but also that make sure I was safe. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't like I didn't get an opportunity to be a child, but I think she gave me something much more unique. She gave me a sense of responsibility, and I still have that. She used to tell me I was too intelligent to do silly things, and I, you know, I believed her. And I, I think positive reinforcement from your parents or your parental figure is so important. The lessons his grandmother taught him would be a huge influence on Sean, when later in life, he would build a community of his own. Welcome to Business Curious, a podcast by GoDaddy about LGBTQ entrepreneurs and their journeys from passion to purpose. I'm Scott Shigeoka. Today, we are talking with Sean Coleman, founder of Destination Tomorrow, a grassroots nonprofit that gives LGBTQ folks in the Bronx tools to improve their financial and mental health. Sean carried his grandmother's lessons throughout his life and eventually passed them on to other people like him, other trans people of color. You know, when did you recognize that you were trans and like when did you start making the transition? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I think I've always known that it was something different, right? So while I loved women, I never felt like one. <laughs> and I'd say that to people, it's like, that's so funny. And it's like, when you think about it, it really is. I know I can't be lesbian, but that's the box that people wanted to put me in. I didn't have language for who I was and what I was feeling because I never really saw anybody that was like me. One day, he and his best friend took a train to the village and decided to find other people like them. They followed some people who looked gay to Washington Square Park and ended up meeting some people in the ballroom community. Yo, the house and ballroom scene, it, it really, really saved my life because it gave me this sense of like, wait a minute, there is something different. There's something else. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing all the beautiful trans people, that trans women. A trans woman was the first woman to tell me about hormone shots. And I'm like, you think what? She broke it down and explained it all to me. I was like, I got to find me some of those. Where, where, where do I get those from? Sean found a doctor through a friend and paid $150 under the table for his first shot of tea. And he was invited into a ballroom family, the legendary House of Ebony. They ate together, hung out together, fought, protected, and loved each other. And at the balls, they competed as a family. And it was the most amazing feeling in the world to be in a room full of people, your peers, and as soon as you step out on the floor, they're cheering you on. For somebody that was coming from a space that hadn't been seen before or didn't even understand who they were, to walk into that space, it was the best feeling in the world. And I'm seeing folks that are defining themselves for themselves unapologetically. 
And it's like, yeah, this is where I need to be. This is what I was missing. This is what I need. But his family had a different reaction. Because I'm like really starting to come into who I am in some ways, and they don't like what they see. Sean was slowly altering his gender presentation. And every time he returned to visit his family, he looked more and more like the person he wanted to be. I went from having like a Jerry Curl to a Gumby to like this like low Caesar. And my family is like, you can't come in my house like that. It's like, why can't I? Like, what's wrong? Like, what's going on? And to just, we don't, we don't want you around here. If you're showing up like that, you have to show up like a girl. That's the only way we're going to allow you in here. And it's like, well, that's not who I am. Sean's grandmother died when he was 23, and her death turned everything upside down for him. His young daughter at the time went to live with his aunt, and some family members took over his grandmother's rental properties. And they asked him to leave his grandmother's house. And just like that, he was out on his own. I don't even know if I ever really got a chance to grieve um, my grandma's passing because it was like, as soon as she was gone, I was tossed into a world that I wasn't prepared for. Sean was struggling to stay safe, healthy, and fed. On top of food and housing, he had to come up with $300 a month for testosterone. So he had to find a few side hustles. And he was convicted for making fake IDs. He got 36 months in federal prison, and after he was sentenced, the judge got down from the bench to speak with him directly. He shook my hand and he said, you know, we've done you a disservice, and I hope you see this as the beginning and not the end. And all I kept saying was like, yo, that white man just shook my hand and said that I was intelligent and, 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 and I shouldn't be doing stuff like this. Is how I interpreted it. And that's what stuck with me. Like, you know, you're too smart to do this. Let's figure something else out. So I had three years to figure something else out. Some of the smartest minds are locked behind a wall. And I think we all um, not only deserve a second chance, but our second chance should begin the moment that we have to go behind that wall. At some point, those folks that you put away are going to come back, right? So there was a short-term fix, but what's, what's the long-term goal? What are we going to do to make sure that this person is successful? Once he got out, Sean reconnected with an old friend from the ballroom scene, Dominique Jackson. You might know her as Electra Abundance, the fierce mother of the house of abundance in Pose. Dominique connected Sean with an LGBTQ-focused nonprofit in the Bronx. The nonprofit was trying to create a safe space for trans people to hang out, and Sean was hired as a support group leader. Back then, in 2004, there were very few places that were welcoming or engaging with the trans community. But as Sean rose up in the nonprofit world, he saw things that needed to be changed. A lot of these non-for-profit organizations either didn't welcome the trans community or didn't know how to engage the trans community, which was probably why they weren't welcoming. And a lot of the programs and services that were meant for the LGBT community just didn't look like me. And I knew if I didn't see myself in these spaces and wasn't too comfortable coming in, into those spaces, and others may not either. Some organizations would use Sean's expertise and community connections to receive more funding for their programs, but keep Sean at minimum wage. Sean wanted something better. And then I wanted others to, to recognize that trans folks can lead, and what better way to do than, than to show them. Then there was this one day when Sean was having a difficult time with his boss. And I'm like, yo, she just doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. And then that light bulb goes off and it's, a, she's not, it's not meant for her to get it. You need to be doing this. 
And if you did it, this is how you should do it. And I envisioned exactly what I wanted to do with Destination Tomorrow. I wanted a place where folks could immediately feel community. Sean remembered hearing someone say that if you're not willing to bet on your dreams, no one else will. So Sean quit. And he takes a big risk and cashes out his 401k to fund this new idea. Now, feel me on this, right? Everybody in New York City knows that I've been doing this work. So I feel like shifting into my own is not going to be a big deal because some of those relationships will carry over, which means some of the funds will eventually carry over. So I'm taking out the 401k because it's not going to take long to make this happen, you know? Oh, God, I wish I knew how wrong I was at that point. The next few years were hard. Sean was raising money, building his organization, and trying to stay above water. I lost my apartment twice. My car got repoed. I lived with my daughter for a year, first on her couch. And then she was like, yeah, I'm going to wear my couch out. And then I started to sleep on a, on a recliner. So when folks look at me like we're an overnight success, I'm like, yeah, we're the only overnight success that took about 10 years. Today, Destination Tomorrow is a direct service organization. So people walk in the door and they ask for all kinds of help. They use a wraparound approach. They know that someone might come in for one thing, but really they need help in other areas of their life too, like understanding finances. We automatically assume that everyone is credit savvy or money savvy, and that's not the case. When folks do have access to money, if they're taught how to be smarter with those resources, then they can actually stretch them. They'll actually last longer. I just want to give folks those tools so that once they have access to cash or revenue or money coming in, then they're making sound decisions and long-term decisions for that money. Destination Tomorrow also helps many clients find housing. Some don't even realize how much they need a stable home. Many of our younger folks don't see staying from friend to friend or my grandma used to call it pillar to post, but staying with folks is still homeless. Like if you don't have anything that's in your name that you can go home to, then technically you're by definition homeless. And they were couch surfing and, and they came in and was saying all they needed was employment. And after, you know, having discussions with them and them being in the program and building a rapport with them, and we realized that they're couch surfing, it's like, no, we need to find you your own home as well. And Sean can really relate because whatever situation a client might be struggling with, chances are he's been through it himself. There were so many different chapters in my life. That that chapter when it was no family acceptance, that chapter when I couldn't find employment, um, that chapter when I was running the street and doing whatever I needed to do to survive. Like there's so many different chapters. So I see myself in so many different folks that walk through the door. Sean says the culture often tells trans people that they are disposable or unworthy. Destination tomorrow helps them see that their future is worthwhile. You start to adopt that mentality. You start to believe that you're not worthy, right? And because you're not worthy, you make bad decisions or you're using some kind of gateway drug to to cope. But it keeps you stuck in the right now as opposed to like really, really dreaming and imagining what you can do. And and that's why we call it a destination tomorrow, right? Because um, we want them to understand that they're working for their tomorrow and that there's, there's a process to getting to what that tomorrow is, right? So your destination is tomorrow and our goal is to help you get there. Mm. Do you think there's a connection between your grandmother and then how you're navigating destination tomorrow? 
I think it ties back into being responsible, right, and understanding the role that you play and the role that other people play. Because if you remember, my walk to to the bank wasn't just me. There's so many other people that play the role, whether you see it outright or not. I think it's the same thing, that there's so many people that, that play a role in the survival of Destination Tomorrow. Early in his life, Sean's family denied him stability and connection because he was trans. Today, he's helping people realize that they don't have to be isolated that their identity can bring them together. People told me that because of who I am, I wouldn't live the life that I live. When I was coming up, I didn't see this. So I didn't think it was possible. So to be able to do it and then still stay true to who I am and represent my community and do it all unapologetically, Black, trans, male, openly identified, it's like the best feeling in the world to actually be living it I now get an opportunity to pay it forward, in a sense, being the elder in the space, but making sure the generation after me has all of the tools that they're going to need to be successful. Special thanks to Sean Coleman for telling his story. You can check out destinationtomorrow.org for more information about their work. Thank you so much to Marlo Lopez, Kelly Strantz, Adam Palmer, and Jessica Hunter as well. This episode was produced by Evan Roberts and mixed by Sammy Hiromi. If you like this episode, please do us a solid and share it with your network. Follow us or write a review. Queer your algorithm, y'all. Help us reach the ears of other queers and be on the lookout for our future episodes this season. We have some amazing stories coming up that I'm so excited to share. Business Curious is a GoDaddy podcast, and I'm Scott Shigeoka.